episode 122 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the great American singer-songwriter Don McLean, whose classic songs include Castles in the Air, Wonderful Baby, And I Love You So, Vincent, and of course, American Pie. This interview took place in 2000, when Don had a Greatest Hits album out and was preparing to play concerts in the UK. How does your UK audience compare to your audience throughout the rest of the world? Is it one of your biggest places? No, they're all the same everywhere, basically. I, because I don't come to the UK that much. I come every two years. So I do 20 shows in two years, but it's all done in a month. Right. Well, in two years in the United States, I'll do, you know, 70 shows, more or less the same size audiences that I would do in the UK. And the same thing goes for Australia. That's a smaller population than either of the two places. You know, I'll go there every two and a half, three years maybe, and I'll do 25 or so shows there. So it's, it's pretty much the same every place. Now, you've obviously got a lot of fans over here. Are you a big fan of the UK, though? I love coming there. In fact, it's one of my favorite places in the world. I love the places that I've been going to. Right. Um, it, it's really great because I don't have to say, oh, Christ, I have to go to China again, you know. And those people that just don't understand me, you know. Uh, it's not like that. It's, it's just always been magic to come over there. And I've always enjoyed going to all the places that I, that I go to. And I think London's my favorite city in the world. I'm never anything but thrilled to go over there. Have you ever lived over here, or would you ever consider it? I could, at some point, I almost felt like I did live in the UK. I was there for months and months, always on tour and... I love those Nash Crescent. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I always thought about having a, an apartment in, uh, in London. Uh, you know, something like a, an elegant small apartment, you know, like you see in Dial M for Murder. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. I have a problem with the, uh, the atmosphere over there. My, I'm an asthmatic, and uh, there's a lot of stuff from automobiles and burning stuff. It comes from fires and things. I can't handle that. After about a month, a lot of times I have a... I get some bronchitis or something, and I'm usually recovering from that after the tour, which is a drag because I've often enjoyed traveling through Scotland. There are places here in Maine where I can't live because people burn fires a lot. That's something that's developed, actually, as I've gotten older. I didn't used to have that. Are you coming over here with new material, or are you not having a new album out for the time being? Well, I'm starting my own record company. It's going to be called Don McLean Records. And I'm doing a deal with a company called Madison Entertainment. And they're a big international, well, actually in North America, they're an independent label, an independent distribution company, actually, that has many different facets. And I'm going to put out the double live PBS album, which has got 25 songs on it, and I'm going to put an album called Don McLean Sings Marty Robin. And those are all done. When will they be out? And in six months. Okay. You're definitely one of the truly great singer-songwriters we've still got on this planet. Can you see any one of your type or caliber among the young artists of today? No. That's very sad, isn't it? That's society. That's the nature of society that we have. It has a new audience that's been brought up a new way on television and video and video games and all sorts of stuff, and they don't need what... I have to offer. My audience needed that. They need something else. 
So by definition, you're not going to have... And besides, you still have Bob Dylan around and Paul Steinman and a lot of really you know, good people out there that they can experience if they want to. How frustrating is it for you not to receive anything like the amount of attention and airplay less talented artists do simply because they're now young and glamorous? Well, it's their world. You know, I had my world and they had their, have their world, but I still have an overarching presence in their world, which they will not have in the next world. <laughs> do you find it difficult to get new big hits now? I think yes, certainly. I think you'd find that anybody who started out, anyone who does my kind of music, you know, the singer-songwriters who started in the late 60s, early 70s, you're not going to find any of those people in the charts anymore. Why not, though? Because you'd have thought with all that experience behind you, you'd know the secret to getting in the charts. Well, the secret is to be 21. Each, each new crowd gets the audience and the, and the performers that they want. They're the ones that dictate you know, what they're going to have. I had my day. I, you know, I was young once, and I was on the cutting edge of that youthful crowd, and I had that. And those people are now changed, and, uh, you know, occasionally you will get a, a hit record, which will be a retro type of a thing. But there are very few Elton Johns in this world. Does that depress you? doesn't thrill me. But you never seem very happy with all the fame and the glamour that came with your great success. So perhaps... In that sense, you're probably quite satisfied with your situation. Well, I tell you, I've gotten all the best that you can get out of, out of it. You know, I've been very fortunate because I live a great life. I make a tremendous income. I split it with nobody. And I don't think that I really was very comfortable with being the object of everyone's attention. At any time, whenever I've been on the charts, I've always felt it was a little bit uh, exciting and a little bit exhilarating and a little bit terrifying. When you say you split your income with nobody, does that mean you're managing yourself now? Yep, I manage myself, and my foreign tours, I work with directly with a promoter. I don't even have an agent in the middle. Is that because you got stung in the past? Well, I didn't get stung, but I got smart. See, one of the things that, that I think is sort of sad about the business that we're in, and you can look at, there are a few artists that have managed to, uh, to make the adjustment They've remained artists, but they've also learned that what uh, people do who are in control of the business is not all that difficult, and they've become people who can do this for themselves, either the Paul Simons and the Paul McCartneys and, and people like that, who have managed to mature in the business. And, you know, it's, that's the sad thing about an Elvis Presley. He was always 19 or 20 years old. He never got a chance to say, hey, you know, I really don't need this, this manager. I don't need these people. I'm not 19 anymore. I'm 42. And I, can, I should be able to get on the phone and call people up and uh, say, let's do this and let's do that. I should have the kind of authority that comes along with middle age. But instead, you, they kind of wither on the vine because they're, they're trying to stay. They still have the manager sitting on them. and they, They're still doing things the way they did in the beginning, and they haven't grown. I think I've grown uh, to, to a point in my life where I... I do things differently. I'm certainly no Paul McCartney, but uh, but I do have two publishing companies. I I own all my songs. I own all my recording masters, which I lease to record companies around the world. I uh, do all my own tours. But do you mind when you're on tour that you have to sing all your old songs over and over again? Does that bother you? Everybody has to do that. Is that a nuisance, though, or do you quite enjoy doing it still? I like giving pleasure to the audience.
and if that's what they want me to do, that's what I, that's what entertainers are supposed to do. I change the show all the time, but I but of course I do the songs everybody knows me for. Do you still get people coming up and asking you about the the meaning of the lyrics of American Pie all, all the time? time. <laughs> so what is the definitive answer? Because there's been so many different theories as to what I it was. Never talk about it. You never do. No, in fact, I'm starting work on an autobiography, right. and I think I'm going to title it, I Never Talk About It. <laughs> Why do you never talk about it? Is well, it a secret? Because take the fun out of it, I guess. But is it a secret, what it's all about? It's not a secret. It's just not something I talk about. Well, because it's poetry, and so it, it, it is like anything. It's like a, a prism. You can't really reveal the true meaning of it, because the meaning of it is prismatic, if you will. As, as like any poem would be, you know, that's why people spend a lot of time talking about different poets' poetry. Will you be leaving an explanation to be revealed after your death? I don't think so, no. Are people hoping that you will? What, die or reveal another? <laughs> no, no, just re reveal it one day, even if it's after you've gone. If enough of them hope that I will, maybe, I, maybe I'll write down everything I can remember about what I was thinking, and that'll have to be enough. How revealing is your autobiography going to be, and when are we likely to see it? Well, I don't know. I just started a few days ago. I decided, you know, I'm, I'm getting on here, and I think it's time for me to, to, to say some things. And it's not going to be a kind of the normal kind of thing. I'm going to have, I hope to have a sessionography in it, a discography, very lengthy, a, perhaps a, uh, a lengthy uh, list of, of the kinds of appearances I've made, uh, reminiscences from other people, my own story, perhaps anecdotes, relevant material that might go along with it. And I think I would like to make it an interesting book that people could get information from as well as just, you know, you know who I slept with and how much dope I smoked. Have you been quite shy of, of talking to the press and so on over the years? I don't think that I've been shy, no, I don't think so. I just don't think that, that I talk much about what's going on in my own life too much. I don't think it's been kind of a, a tabloid life that I've lived. I think I've kind of kept it to the music. And uh, Why is that? What, what, are you, what are you worried about by exposing that side of your life? I don't want people to find out I'm the elephant man. <laughs> I just, just felt it was more interesting to talk about the music and what I was doing, you know, as far as records go and so on and appearances but it, it, for the most part you know it's uh that's what it's been you married a music journalist didn't you i married a, a reporter yeah can you tell me how that came about how you met yes i was on tour with uh, joan baez in 1986 one of the reasons i went on the road was to find women in fact that was pretty much the only reason but i read that they used to turn up in your bathroom stark naked i didn't they think you'd have a problem everywhere and i used to go with them you know love love women but, you know, it got to the point where I was pushing 40 at the time. And I'm pretty realistic about things. I, I, one thing that's important to me is that I think th each thing has to be done in, in, at the right time in life. And you have to accept certain things. And I looked in the mirror and I said, you know, this is getting really kind of shabby. You know, you're getting old. You're still chasing girls like you were when you were 17. And I know a lot of guys that are like that. And I don't, I don't want to be that way. And I, th I was thinking, you know, maybe I would just quit everything and, uh, I don't know, do something else. What but, would you consider doing? I don't doing? know. That part didn't happen because very soon after, as I was thinking these thoughts, and the thought was prevalent in my mind, that just life had, that the whole thing had just reached a point where it was, you know, unless I make a change, this has gotten 
to where it's just too routine. No matter how much money I'm making and no matter how much success I've been having, which I always had, I always had good fortune with my music. Just the other side of it was uh, empty. So how did you meet your wife? Did she interview you? Well, she, uh, she tried to get an interview with me when I was at the Concord Pavilion out in uh, California. She called my agent and she called me and left a message, wrote me something like that. I guess this is where I get the reputation for being difficult. I threw it in the trash <laughs> and kept throwing it in the trash, you know. And then finally, after the show was over, I got a note from somebody. There's a girl out here who wants to speak to you. And, of course, my first question to him was, is she good looking? And so she said, yeah, she's pretty good looking. So I said, okay, she can talk to me. So she came in, and uh, I just took one look at her, and I said, uh, I'm in love. And uh, it was great because, you know, it's like the, the thing you read about, you know, your parents tell you, uh, you know, I saw your father across the room and that was it. You know, that kind of thing. It never happened to me, you know. Well, the article she wrote must have been quite something. I don't know. I never read that. She kept that away from me. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> she thought I was a jerk. But anyway, she married me. We got married on March 13th, 1987. Right. A year later. Yes. Now we have two kids. Now, you've been married before, and you, you've been yes. quoted as, as blaming your previous marriage on show business. Is that the case? Well, it was one of those things where I was a, yeah, I was a young, young guy. I was a much different person than I am now. 24, I guess. How long did that marriage last? Well, it lasted for five years or so, but it was over the next day after we got married. And do you think, basically, your success just hit you overnight and that was it? Well, what my success did... Aside from the fact that the day after I got married and I woke up with this woman and I realized that I'd married the wrong person, and she realized it too. Uh, that happens. That and that happens, and that was the end of the relationship, regardless of how much you know we didn't want to admit that this was happening to us. But what my success did was that it changed everybody else. It didn't change me, because I always knew I was going to be something. I was one of those people. You could talk to any artist that we all know we're going to go somewhere. We're like uh, some sort of exoset missile, you right. know. We're programmed to go places, and so we know we know what we're going to do. But when you are successful, isn't it difficult to know who's after you for who you really are? When you're successful, everybody changes. I'll tell you the kinds of things that I re that I remember. I don't want to, you know, belabor it, but I can tell you a story that that yeah. might help you. My mother's family were Italian. I'm right. half Italian and half Scottish, and there were tons of people in her family, and her sister was married to a man who had scores of people in his family. Nephews, aunts, uncles, sisters, brothers, you know, old people, just the whole movie, you know. And I had this big record, American Pie. As I was growing up, you know, if I went to a, a, a family gathering... It was, oh, Donnie, how are you? It was a nice pat on the head. Oh, here's Joe, and here's, here's so-and-so, and here's, here's Ann, and here's Rose, and da-da-da-da. And it was just like bedlam. They knew you were there somehow, but they didn't notice you. You know right. what I'm saying? Well, after this occurred, my mother and I went to a gathering, and there were probably 300 relatives of her family and her sister's husband's family. And they were all sitting down to eat and talking and there were about 40 tables you know in one of these big banquet rooms and we were over in the corner somewhere and we were eating and I told my mother we'd been there a couple of hours I said mom let's go I, I gotta get back home I'll take you home and I had to go home so I got up to leave and when I got up to leave the entire 
three or four hundred people got up to leave and ran after me. <laughs> <laughs> and did they want you to sing for them? Is that the idea? They just went crazy. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's <laughs> suddenly this whole facade of being, you know, at this function and being people who were acting in a certain way, you know, yeah. suddenly all dropped away. I want to have your autograph, you know, all this stuff. Do you resent all that? No, I didn't resent it, but it's just an, a perfect example yeah. of how everybody else changes. You don't change. People who you don't think are even capable of change, change. <laughs> Did that worry you that you were having kids fairly late in life? No, in fact, it fit the bill in terms of, you know, where the way I was feeling when I was 40. Having a family was something that I had decided that I would like to do. The settling down part I had always found rather difficult. Never found the person I wanted to settle down with. So that's why the, my meeting that day with my wife was amazing and, and wonderful and fortunate. And, uh, I was thinking more in terms of the children now. I mean, when they're grown up, you're going to be fairly senior in age. That's correct. I mean, does that worry you? No, it doesn't worry me. Uh, what, I, what I feel, and this is the great thing about this, is that uh, I've had this fabulous years where I've been footloose, fancy-free. I've had the world on a string. I've made a fortune. I've had all these wonderful things happen to me. And now I have a family. And as perhaps my career winds down, I will be totally unaware of it as I become completely involved with the evolution of my family and my children. The impetus will be on me to stay healthy and stay awake and stay alert and stay in shape. So to me, it's it's the perfect way to do it. You know, this yeah. this will probably mean I'm going to live to be, you know, 98 or so. But you say you've, you've suffered from asthma all your life. Has that been passed on to the children or have they got away from that? No, they're in great shape. Right. I think it was because everybody in the house smoked like crazy. You know, I mean, really, I was brought up with people that smoked... Everywhere I was, it was like a haze of smoke. And they say that that actually has an effect on uh, children when they're born, and if they have this difficulty, it makes it a whole lot worse. Did you have a good childhood yourself? I did. Yes, I did. And did you have a big family amongst brothers no, and sisters? No, I didn't have a big family. I had a, I had a strange kind of a family uh, life. Cause I had a sister who was 15 years older than I was. So there was no communication there, really. And uh, she wasn't around that much. Are you still very close with the rest of your family? or? Well, my, my parents are both dead. Right. And most of my aunts and uncles are also dead. So there's not much family left. When I was six or seven years old, I was singing. And I remember I had an, an uncle of mine who had a bowling alley in Brooklyn. And I would visit my uncle and my aunt. He would set me up on the bar and have me sing for the, the people. And I remember them as an audience of just these rough people out there in this bowling yeah. alley in Brooklyn. And it's, you know, it's, it's all been the same since then. This magnificent house in Maine, well, you were already based in Maine, weren't you? Well, I had a summer home here, which I still have. I have a lot of real estate. I have several homes, and I have probably a thousand acres of land. Why Maine, though? Why, why did you decide to settle there? Was that well, where you grew up? No, no. I grew up in New York, and I lived in New York for, uh, well, I lived in New Rochelle, New York, is where I was born, and uh, I continued to, to live, I was educated there, and uh, I, instead of moving into the city, I moved into upstate New York, and 
I lived there for nearly 20 years until after I got married the second time and until my first child was born, right. at which point I realized that I couldn't move in this house because I had so much stuff. I like to collect antiques, and I had basically collected so much stuff, and then the kids, my daughter came, and every room was used for something. I couldn't move. I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't function. And it was like almost, I, I said to my wife, okay, look, we have to move. You know, and we had another house here in Maine, and we were falling in love with, with it. And uh, it's, it's a big colonial home, and I was using it as a summer house. It's, I think that it's really a good idea that we should move, move to Maine. And, uh, let's give the kids a real childhood uh, instead of the sort of, you know, heroin in the, uh, in the boys' room, you know, in, uh, in high school. Let's, let's put them in a school where it's like Norman, Norman Rockwell and, uh, you know, a real old-fashioned Yankee American childhood. Are you suffering withdrawal symptoms from the city, though? Not at all. I was never in the city. I'm, a, I'm an odd bird, you know. I mean, my music sounds sophisticated, but I'm, I'm sort of a country boy. So I've always been into things that are rather conflicting. You know, I like the land, and I've always liked horses, and I've always liked westerns, and I've always liked country music. And if, you know, I mean, the other day, I, if I go to the store, I got some CDs, I got Bob Wills, and I got Flat and Scruggs, and I got... Uh, the Everly Brothers and Buddy Holly CD. So you know, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I just uh, do you go and see concerts? That way. Do you ever go and watch um, other artists play now? No, not too much. Who would you pay to see? And, and who, who are would your... I pay to see? Yeah, I can't think of anybody I'd pay to see because I've seen almost everybody I ever wanted to see already. And besides, I get to see them on TV. You know, I see yeah. their videos all over the place. There are a bunch of them I'd pay never to see again. <laughs> Do you want to name those? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't think so. Do you, <laughs> because you're living out in the countryside, I mean, do you like to keep away from it all now, or do you still go to the occasional first night or film premiere or whatever? Well, it's a funny thing because, you know, when I'll go on tour, for example, I'll go to several things while I'm in London. And we'll go to New York. I belong to uh, a couple of private clubs in New York City, one called The Coffee House uh -huh. in New York. And they'll have first nights, and they'll have, and then they'll have the, the writer of the play come over and, you know, have the reception at the at the club or something. And I belong to the Groucho Club, and, and oh, yeah. also. Uh -huh. So because I move around so much, I'm not situated any place. You know what I mean? So in a two-year period, I'll probably do a world tour and be in 150 cities around the world, and uh, and also spend a great deal of time just. Uh, doing other things that I might want to be doing here in, in my place here. Have you got many star friends, though? Do you have many celebrity neighbors or whatever? Well, I don't have any celebrity neighbors, but there are celebrities that live here. John Travolta lives here. Kirstie Alley lives here. Uh, Who do you count as friends? Well, I have I have a few friends like uh, who from the old days, like Ed Begley Jr., who's an actor, yep. an actor named Harry Dean Stanton, oh. a friend of mine. Jordan Ayers in Nashville are friends of mine. Dwayne Eddy is a friend of mine. Have you had any aspirations to, to go into acting yourself? Sometimes, a little bit. I think that would be fun. I was too frightened to be an actor, and I was too nervous to be in one place long enough. Like they have to do. Being an actor is a very hard job. You've got to stay, and you've got to be bored for so long. 
until your moment comes, and then you have to be so ready to do what you're supposed to do in front of those cameras. And then you've got to do all kinds of things in front of people. Were you asked to do it, though? Um, not really, no. no. I don't think that, you know, I think you have management for that. You know, yeah. you just go and, and try to get, you know, you to do that. I realize you had nothing to do with the movie American Pie, but did you... Well, I did have something to do with it. Uh, oh, you did? I own the trademark. Oh, I know that, yeah. But I wondered if you'd refuse to let your song be used in it. I didn't refuse to let my song be used in it. It sort of started out as a thing where they were talking about some kind of a movie and they wanted to use the song, but it didn't have that as the title. And I didn't you know, care particularly. I said, well, it's a good budget movie or whatever, and they're going to pay the price, we'll let them use the song, you know. And then they said, well, we're not going to use the song, we're going to title it American Pie, and we don't have to even pay you anything. So they kind of made me a backhanded, insulting offer of like a few hundred dollars because they know I have the trademark. Yeah. So I said, well, you're going to be sorry if you do that. And uh, we had a sort of a standoff and it was resolved in my favor. <laughs> what, what of that the movie American Pie Madonna's cover version of American Pie and even the Fuji's revival of Kidding Me Softly what have they done for your popularity and your reputation among the youth of today oh I think they uh, they like me I get a lot of uh, teenagers you know teenage women and men waving and saying hi Don we love your music all these great things that most 55 year old guys don't get <laughs> Have you noticed a big increase in your popularity as a result of all this, though? A nice increase, yes. Good, solid increase. What did you think of Madonna and her music before she recorded American Pie? I always liked Madonna. In fact, I was going out with a girl that looked a lot like her in the early 80s. I had a kind of a, a desire for exotic-looking, sexy women. And she had that look, you know, in the early 80s with those eyes and everything. And, uh, I was really quite... Uh, interested in her. I never saw her do anything that I didn't uh, enjoy. I loved her videos, and I liked her voice, and uh, I thought her attitude was cool. I mean, you know, why should she go around? If she, what she is, you know. I liked it. But the idea of her and me ever, you know, our paths ever intersecting as they have in this last year, I mean, never ever crossed my mind. Yeah. I tell you. Has your respect for her increased all the more now? Well, I mean, I, I mean I'm indebted to her. I... I I love her for it, you know, and I, I wish her uh, continued success in every uh, in every field. Obviously, you're you're best known for writing some fabulous romantic songs too. Are you quite a romantic person? Yes, I am. I think I'm quite sentimental. You're quite nostalgic for the past. I'm not nostalgic for the past. I want to make a distinction, subtle distinction, but I think it's an important one. I think that we. Uh, especially Americans, should be more concerned about that which is unable to be improved upon in the past and that which is irreplaceable in the past, as opposed to nostalgia, which is just a, an overall longing for what you can't have. I think it's sad when people replace what was wonderful with something that's, that's crap. So in that sense, I'm in favor of, of holding on to things that are great, whether it's uh, an object or whether it's a piece of music. And you've obviously been in quite a powerful position, an influential position over the years, because a lot of people believe in what you write and everything. Are you very aware of that when you write your songs? No, because I've never... That's one of the things that 
now you've hit upon exactly what it was that made fame uncomfortable for me. I never wanted to be in a position where anybody followed me or I led anybody or I was an influence over anybody. I just wanted to do what I was doing and uh, give pleasure and give happiness and give emotion to people who, who wanted to receive it from me. And that was that. People are very anxious to follow folks. And I don't know whether that's, you know, why that is, but they follow the, you know, that people write these books and they have these talk shows and there are these cults everywhere and I guess it's a breakdown of sort of organized religion or something. Was the one moment, though, which scared you off and made you realize that perhaps it was a bit too frightening? No, not one moment. There was just an overall general sense of, I'm not your leader, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just, uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of times, the first things that happen to you, it's like almost spin control, you know. The first things that happen to you when, when you're fortunate enough to be thrust onto the, uh, the world stage, and I believe you're very fortunate. This is a wonderful thing to have happen. But the first things that happen to you are the things people always remember. So, you know, it's almost like, and I suppose that's it's like first impressions, you know. Do you still have a lot of people who are fans and in in you first started out who are following you still now? Yeah, yeah, I have them, but I also have a lot of, believe it or not, I have a lot of teenagers. Right. Are you quite concerned about uh, the passing of time on you, or are you getting sort of making sure you get very fit? Do you have a gym in the house, that sort of thing, to go sport and all that? I know that, that you can't beat the odds. And so I, I'm, I'm a person who believes in the odds, pretty much. They say you'll live to be 75, so, uh, and I figure the last 10 years of that isn't going to be too great. So I figure I've got, you know, if I'm, if I'm lucky and if the odds hold, I've got maybe 20 good years left. What do you want to be doing in 20 years' time, though? You don't want to be touring here every other year. I wouldn't mind touring there. I love going over there. I really do. If folks still wanted to hear me and I could stand, and I thought that I sounded good and I looked okay and it was done in a way that was uh, acceptable uh, to me, because I love to give, give myself to audiences. I like them. I like to do that for them. I, I, I love it. It gives me a lot. You know, it's given me a lot. It's given me everything. You know, I wouldn't, you know, as long as it could be done in a way that was, that was, that was good and not pathetic, you know, because it can become pathetic. I think that's very important that, uh, you know... Do you feel you've been given the credit that you deserve? I think I have not been given the credit that I deserve, and I feel I've been given too much credit. I think so in the sense it's evened out. What's the biggest tribute you've been paid, and what's the biggest insult? Well, the biggest tribute I was ever paid was the song Killing Me Softly with his song. Roberta Flack. And the biggest insult is, it's not an insult, but it's... It's the lack of uh, interest on the part of most people who interview me in my music and in my, my style, my performing style, my singing style, the overall tools that I use to make a living and focusing on Vincent or American Pie or, or And I Love You So, focusing on just a song or two or three or four songs or the new album or whatever rather than on, you know, Wow, did you ever hear anybody sing crying like that? Well, how does he do that, you know? <laughs> do you think you'll be forever trying to create another Vincent or American Pie or crying? No. no, I did that already. I say let someone else see if they can do it. 
Uh, do you have a studio in the house? Have you built one in the house or? Um... No. Oh no. Never. Never do that. Never. Never own a nightclub. Never own a restaurant. Never build a studio. They're losers. <laughs> how often do you spend working and how often playing though? When I say I playing, I mean. Half. But the playing is, has purpose. You know, I'm with them raising the children. I'm, I'm doing a lot of. Uh, I do a lot of business. Uh huh. You know, in, in the half of the time when I'm home, I'm doing all kinds of stuff with my publishing and with the record masters and setting up uh, concerts and doing interviews and uh, planning recording sessions and stuff like that. But I'm doing it from the house so that I can take a break and see my daughter or see my son or my wife and I can go out and do something and I come back and there'll be some faxes here and I'll have to answer that and set this up and do that and so on. So it's like I kind of, I don't want to call it work, but that's what I'm doing kind of. There's talk of you now releasing your live performance of American Pie with Garth Brooks. What, what's the news on that? Uh, that's not going to happen. Garth satisfied to have it in the video, in the home video, which he shows a lot. And um, it's actually something, you know, he probably should do, but I would go along with it. But it's okay if he doesn't, because there's a lot of other stuff going on. But it's it's a nice moment in his in his uh, HBO special, and you know he's the one who started everything going for me. How do you mean? Well, Garth Brooks in uh, the late '80s and early '90s, and right up through and culminating probably in that that evening at Central Park, is the biggest selling recording artist in history. And Garth Brooks sang American Pie every night of his life from the day he started singing until. As far as I know, the last time he was on Austin City Limits, and yeah. people would tell me as he would grow, each every couple of years, I'd say, I saw this guy named Garth Brooks, and he was at this nightclub, and he sang this, he was really good. Two years later, I saw Garth at this, at this theater, he was a couple thousand seats, he was really good. Two years later, 65,000 people were out to see Garth, and he sang American Pie, now he's got 65,000 people. You know, yeah. saying, man, this guy is huge, you know, he's growing over the years, you know, well, I... I never made an attempt to contact him because, you know, I figured I, people would tell him, all these pushy people, you know, or, couldn't you call him up, you know what? I said, listen, he'll talk to me when he feels like it, okay? And I said, you know, and if he doesn't feel like it, that's fine too. I mean, that's all right with me. Don't you get a bit fed up with all this traveling around now? No, because I don't do that much of it. I've limited it somewhat, and uh, by the time I, I'm ready to go, I'm happy to go. Are there many places you haven't been that you'd like to tour? No, but there's a few places I might like to visit without touring. I'd love to. I'd love to have the guts to go to the Galapagos Islands sometime. Do you think they've heard of you out there? Well, <laughs> I'm sure they've heard of me. Now they're playing your Vincent song over and over again at the museum in Amsterdam. Have you been there? Yeah, I have. Sure. Did they make a big fuss of you when you went there, or was it just a quiet private visit? Oh, I just went. You know. I've been to all, a lot of the museums in Holland. Are you uh, a painter yourself? Do you do art yourself? Uh, well, I'm. You know, my art is what I do. You know, yeah, that's the only thing I do. I don't really feel the need to do much other than what I. I love. Uh, you know, music is really was my whole life for most of my life. Have and the things that inspired you changed a great deal? I don't think the things that inspire me have changed a great deal, but I think that. Uh, I'm changing from time to time. I'm changing the uh, the kinds of things that I that I want to write about. I think that that's changing from 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 year to year. 
for a lot of artists seem to be very inspired by the environment at the moment, and you're obviously living out in the country. Do you worry about the future of the environment? I worry about it, yes, but my first album was about the environment. Tapestry was about the environment. I wrote about the environment before anybody did. And my feeling about the environment is that people have come on, that we're past the point of being able to help much now. If people were to be honest about it, they should write about the fact that, you know, we've completely screwed ourselves. The opportunity was there 20 years ago to do something about it if people wanted to. Now I don't know if it is. So are you worried for your children? Well, I, I don't worry about things. I don't worry about things I can't do anything about, and I try to do things about that. I try to do something about that. I try to do my part. I've equipped my children with about all you can give anybody. And so, you know, you just have to think and hope that... Uh, that things will, will go okay. I think I worry a lot more about AIDS than I do about the environment as far as my kids go. That's probably a good thing you're married now then, isn't it? It's a very good thing I'm married. <laughs> but I'm not sure that those mosquitoes flying around are going to protect even married people. I don't believe what people tell me about stuff. I think for myself. You know, when I whack a mosquito, it looks like there's a lot of uh, material there on my arm. And uh, if that were an infected... And if it can pass around malaria, why can't it pass around this stuff? You've been quite outspoken on a lot of quite sensitive issues in the past. Do you regret any of the things you've said, or do you always think oh. you should speak your mind? No, I don't regret anything I've said, no, because I've never said anything that wasn't true. And I've never said anything about anybody that wasn't, or about anybody anyway. I don't talk about people. I talk about things that affect people, and I talk about, and I write love songs. But, uh... Are you quite politically conscious nowadays? Yeah, what... I'm, I'm politically conscious. I'm, I, have, I have opinions, that's for sure. I think that's the, di- I think that's the difference. I, I think the difference is that I'm, I have opinions, and I have thoughts about things. But I wouldn't say, well, when you talk about politically conscious, that oftentimes implies a set of rules that somebody who says, okay, I'm a liberal, or I'm a communist, or I'm a, I'm a conservative... And once you do that, then you sort of put yourself in a box. And, and really, you know what box a person is. You can pr- pretty well figure out what they're going to think about anything. You don't really need the person anymore. Pain? I don't think you can figure out what I'm going to think about something. Would you actively campaign for, on a presidential race or anything? No, I wouldn't. Be, I don't like presidents. I don't like politicians. I don't trust politicians. I think the system that produces politicians inherently produces liars. And I don't support liars. Do you think that uh, if you hadn't become a singer-songwriter that you'd have thought of, an, of another career perhaps in politics yourself? or would... No, because it would ruin me. It would ruin me. I'd, I'd have to become a liar. I, I don't want to be a liar. That's the one thing I'm not. You would saw in the new millennium singing American Pie with Bill Clinton. Yes. What, what's he like and how do you feel about him as your president? Well, I think that Bill Clinton is a guy who had a tragic flaw and unfortunately it marred his presidency for all time but if you if you forget about that for a moment if bill clinton had not had that tragic flaw he would have had eight of the best years i've ever lived through in my life he is such a smart person he's got a head that's twice the size of of mine or yours it's huge it's full of brains. I mean, this man is really smart. This guy has amazing tenacity and has a, a, a gift for, uh, for reading people and 
Have you ever been approached to go into politics? No. no. I'm too, uh... It takes a hell of a lot to be a politician. And not only that, this one, this one dinner that I went to where I had to wear a tuxedo in the White House was enough to put me off being, you know, in politics forever. I can't stand it. It's just too, uh, stiff. Yeah. Have you ever wondered what else you might have done, though? I couldn't have done anything as well as this. I wasn't any good at anything but this. It's very easy for me to choose my career path. This was the only thing I was really good at. <laughs> Is there anything you now wished you'd done in your youth but never did? Yes, I wish I'd slept with more beautiful women than I had the chance to. <laughs> I knew a lot of different women. I didn't spend enough time with them. Would you say that this is the happiest time in your life? Yeah, I would say it's the happiest time in my life, without a doubt. Okay, what's your idea of bliss? I'm living it. How would you like to be remembered after you're gone? I already know how I'll be remembered. That's the great thing about being in the position that I'm in. I have a feeling there will probably be a, a retro re-examination of what I did and, and my music, and I, I hope people will appreciate more my singing style, and the diversity of my songwriting. How do you feel about the fact that you'll probably always be best remembered for that song? Well, I think you couldn't pick a better song in my repertoire to have be the one song that is my signature song. I mean, it's, it's the greatest song I ever wrote, for sure, and it had the greatest impact of anything I ever did. So I'm very comfortable with that. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly glad it wasn't some useless piece of junk, you know, that I actually, you know, backed into and became a huge hit. Great. Well, thank you very much indeed for talking to me. That's yeah, a pleasure. Well, thank you.